The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Open your Bibles now, if you would, please, to Exodus chapter 20. And for the past few weeks in our study of the Ten Commandments, we've been in a mini-series on the Fourth Commandment. This is our fourth work of, uh, week of study, which reflects the seriousness of this command. In fact, it is a, a command that is so serious that Israel had built their entire religious system on this commandment. The commandment is about the Sabbath. It's about remembering who God is. Um, as we study the first three commandments, it's good for us to learn about the true God and how to worship Him. It's good for us to understand His holiness and how we're to reverence the name of God. However, that knowledge isn't much good for us unless we have learned how to put it into practice. Now, I can tell you that there is only one God and that you should worship Him in the right way. And I can tell you that you should never speak his name unless you speak it in reverence. And you may acknowledge those things. And you may say that you believe those things. But the knowledge by itself really doesn't do as much good unless we have a way to express that knowledge. And the Sabbath day is about putting your knowledge of God into practice. Now, in a general sense, we can say that the Ten Commandments are good for all people. I think we would all agree with that. The Ten Commandments are good for all people, and all people should honor the Ten Commandments and keep them because they came from the Holy God. But there's another sense in which we, the commandments will not do us any good unless we are believers and worshipers of Jesus Christ. We have to have our faith in Him. We must trust Him alone for our salvation and to receive and to practice the Ten Commandments acceptably is to know God through faith in Christ. Now, attempts at keeping the commandments mean nothing at all if your faith isn't in Him. And so it's useless to keep commandments to try and make yourself right with God because your imperfections will always separate you from Him. God requires perfect obedience, and the only way that you can be perfect is... For God to see you in Christ who has fulfilled the law for you. Faith in Christ is what obtains that fulfillment of the law. As Paul said, you are children of God by faith. Now today in our study of the fourth commandment, we're going to concentrate on the last part of verse number 8. But let's read the text of the entire commandment beginning in verse number 8 of Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. Now, once again, verse number 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, we've already talked about the first phrase. Uh, number one in our outline from a few weeks ago was to remember the day. 
Remembering the day is about recognizing this day belongs to God, that we're not to forget what God has done in two creative acts. First, he created us physically from inanimate dust. He gave us life. And then secondly, we honor the Sabbath as uh, God recreating us spiritually by giving us new life when we were dead in trespasses and sin. Now, the first is the act of God in the initial creation, but superseding that original creational act is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that gives us eternal life in him. And so you can see that it's impossible for us to honor the Sabbath without knowing Christ because in these New Testament times, it is a Christian Sabbath. And we honor the death and the resurrection of our Lord. Then we also discuss that we are to rest on the day, that we are to rest from secular labor, we're to rest from normal activities that we do during the work week. And the fact that we rest naturally implies that we must work. And we see that in verse number 9, when God says, six days you shall labor. That's the positive aspect of the command, you shall work. God wants people to be busy. He wants you to earn your living. It's your responsibility to provide for you and your family. And you are to be industrious and hardworking and honorable in that work. And the Word of God says, if you won't work, then neither shall you eat. But then we also learn that there are exceptions to the prohibition of work on the Sabbath. There are some things that we must do. There are acts of worship, those are requirements, but there are also other things. There are acts of mercy that we should do on the Sabbath. When, when somebody needs our help, when there's a fire that threatens a house, when an accident happens on the freeway, when a dying person asks you to sit with them, you need to do that. Even if it's a Sunday, if it's the Lord's Day, go and do that as an act of mercy. If there's an emergency that if ignored would cause great harm. We need to take care of that, even if it is the Sabbath. And God commands that as well as he does the prohibition from our other work. And then there are also acts of necessity that are permitted under the command. Hospitals can't close on Sundays. Doctors and nurses must take care of their patients. Criminals don't stop stealing and killing on Sundays. And so we need police officers. We have men in our military uh, soldiers that are serving at their post, and we have sailors on ships that are protecting, guarding the freedoms of our country. Those are permissible acts of necessity. But then we also learn that there's one more category of works that the Lord permits, and that is that he permits acts of piety, that is, works of charity, works of worship. And these aren't actually loopholes in the command, but these are things that we must do as we worship God. They're positive acts that are part of observing the Sabbath. So we call them works of righteousness. They are acts of worship by which you acknowledge the one true God who owns this day by virtue of being the Creator and the Redeemer. Now that's where I want to resume the discussion today. What are we to do on the Lord's Day? We talked about prohibitions. We've talked about exceptions. But now, what does the Word of God say that this Sabbath was made for? What are we to do on the Lord's Day? So thirdly, we want to talk about remembrance, or reverence rather. Reverence the day. Keep it holy is what the Word of God says. And to keep it holy is to practice acts of worship. Arthur Pink wrote that, we are to engage in works of piety on the Sabbath, which he described as works 
which are worship of God in public and private, using with thankfulness and delight all the means of grace which God has provided. Worshiping is a commandment. It's not optional for us. You're to use the means that God has given to worship Him. All the means of grace, just like Pink says, all of them, such as the Word, prayers, singing, preaching, the ordinances. Well, you might wonder, what am I to do on the Lord's Day? How am I to worship God? Well, I'm going to tell you that today. I'm going to give you seven acts of worship that we are to do on the Lord's Day. All of these are acts of piety, To be pious means to reverence God. And so these are things that God's people must do in order to reverence Him. Now let me say also by way of introduction that each of these relates to the Word of God. This is so important for us to understand. Every one of these acts of worship in some way is going to relate to the Word of God. And you need to remember that because Jesus Christ is the living Word that is revealed in the written Word. We only find out about Christ. We only know about Him because of the written Word. Now, over the past few months, there's been quite a furor over a sermon series that was preached by a popular megachurch pastor named Andy Stanley. Some of you may have heard of him. He's the son of Charles Stanley, a Southern Baptist preacher from Atlanta that maybe many of you have listened to for years. But Andy Stanley, his son, has his own church of satellite churches that number upwards to 30,000 people in attendance. So I think that most of us would say, well, there's a man who's a spokesman. That's a man who's an influential man in Christian circles. And he was talking about how do we win the lost to Christ today? How do, what kind of a gospel do we give them? And amazingly, this is what Andy Stanley said. He said that Christians need to stop relying on the Bible as the proof that you should believe in Jesus Christ. And so he said we need to stop singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. I'm not going to get into that controversy because it speaks for itself, but I just want to remind you of this, that we know nothing, nothing about Jesus Christ except what we read in the Bible. There isn't any saving gospel of Jesus Christ without the Bible. You can't separate the living word from the written word or you will destroy the gospel. Now, some aren't brave enough to call Andy Stanley a modern heretic, but I will. Whether or not he's a Southern Baptist, his teachings are dangerous. And if he believes what he says, he should repent or get out of the pulpit before he ruins another generation of people who don't know anything about the true gospel of Christ. Now, let me start at the place where you know, you know that I must begin. What are we to do on the Lord's Day? Well, first is go to the Word. Go to the Word. I mean, to go to the place where the Word of God is the focus of the day. And you know where that place is. It's not Channel 5. It's not K-Love on the radio. Uh, You might hear some good things on there now and then, but as I always say, good luck with that. So where do you go? Well, this is a whole sermon by itself. In fact, we did a whole sermon series on this twice in the last three years. Where do you go? You go to church. You go to church, set your alarm clock and get up and go to church. Put everything else aside, go to church. Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And when is the main time that the church assembles 
for to hear the Word of God, to discuss the Scriptures. We know what that is. The disciples gathered on the first day of the week. It was their custom to fellowship and receive instruction on the first day of the week. That's a very basic thing, isn't it? That's an elementary proposition. Just the fundamental, just fundamental stuff of Christianity. And yet this is one of the things that Christians seem to be so fundamentally challenged on. What are we going to do on the Lord's Day? Is this, is this is a mystery? Go to church. Fellowship with God's people in the church. Receive instruction in God's church. And if you didn't get that when you became a Christian, then somebody has cheated your understanding of what a real Christian is. This is what biblical Christians do. They go to church. Now, of course, all of you are here. Why do I tell you to go to church? Do you need me to tell you this? Well, maybe so. Maybe so, because there might be someone here today who by chance, this falls on the day that you would be here. This is your chance day to be in church. It's not your habit. Someone has pressed you into it. Maybe you came to satisfy your husband, satisfy your wife, maybe your mom or dad, maybe a friend or something. Some of you are just not here often enough because you take the Lord's day and you use it as you please. You're here today because this is the day that you satisfy your obligation of your half-hearted Christianity and you do this just to show some semblance that you must be a Christian. You know, we have an epidemic of Sunday activities that include things like ball games and fun for kids and all sorts of recreation that is specifically scheduled for Sunday because people are going to be off work anyway. And they're not going to go to church. Now, let me say this, that you should never let your children be involved in any activities that take them away from worship on the Lord's Day. Now, some parents think that they're not good parents if they haven't given their children every opportunity at organized sports and school functions and a hundred other things that are provided for kids to do today. But the Scripture says you're not a good parent unless you raise your children to fear the Lord. You aren't a good parent unless you teach them to honor God by obeying Him, to worship Him. Now, I could spend a whole sermon on this, and that's needful, because our younger generation has grown up without an attitude of worship. And the reason for that mostly is because their parents who are Christians don't respect the Lord and they don't live their faith. Now, it, it's, it's odd that we don't want our children to steal. We tell them that. We don't want them to lie. We don't want them to curse. But then in an odd twist of our piety, we don't want them to worship either. You know, parents often live vicariously through their children, and sometimes they worship children instead of God. These commandments are not yours to pick and choose. Stealing. Lying, cursing, those are prohibitions in the Ten Commandments, right? So is missing worship. You don't get to choose which ones you're going to do. Missing worship is to break the commandments. Now, let's just settle in on this for just a moment. You may have hoped that I would move on. What does attendance at church say about a Christian? Doesn't it tell others who you belong to? Doesn't the Bible say that you're not your own, but you've been bought with the price? So as Christians, we don't ask questions like this. We don't, we're not always, we're not wandering around like the world is. Who am I? 
Please give me a meaning to my life. Who am I? Christians don't ask, who am I? Christians ask, whose am I? Now, if you're doing, doing something else on the Lord's Day, is anyone going to know who you belong to? Is it obvious to the person that sits next to you in the bleachers at a ball game on Sunday that you, well, you've got to be a Christian. Must be a Christian. You're here at a ball game. Well, they naturally assume that because you sit with them at a ball game, that's Christianity. Does your car in the parking lot at a ball game or at the park on Sunday after, on Sundays, uh, does that say as much as your car parked in the parking lot of the church? What do people know about you just by the activities of Sunday? Whose are you? Do you belong to yourself or do you belong to your family? Or do you belong to the living Word who's Jesus Christ? If you take this day for yourself, you've answered the question. You belong to you and not to God. So go to the Word. Be regular in attendance. Give a testimony that you belong to the one who is the master of your soul. Next, what do we do on the Lord's Day? We are to read the Word. This is a good Lord's Day activity. Christians should use the day to read the Word. Now, I, I think that you ought to read it every day because you won't appreciate it as much as you would just reading it just on Sunday. You come on Sunday and read it, and it's, you, you just appreciate it so much more because you've been in the Word all week long. Regularly enjoy the Word of God by reading it, and then come to the corporate setting of the church and read God's Word. Or on Sundays, do it in your private reading, and it will strengthen your faith immeasurably. Read things like Psalm 119. There you get an encyclopedia of the value of God's Word. To the psalmist, the Word was the air that he breathed. It gave him life. It made life worth living. Without the Word of God, he said that he was hungry. He said that he was thirsty. He dried up. He was cold and naked. He was without understanding. He was barren. He was unfruitful. He was ashamed. He was a stranger. He was a reproach and he was chained without the Word of God. But then he said in the Word that he was delighted and he was upright. He was righteous and cleansed. He was true. He was rich. He was free. He was comforted. He was thankful. He was blessed. He was guided by God's Word. And he just went on and on extolling the praises of God for the Word. Which of those lists do you want to be on? you want to be on the one with the Word or without the Word? Sunday is the chief day for God's Word, and so come and read it. A few months ago when Brother Tilly was here, he, he told me that uh, our congregational reading was an unusual thing, that he didn't see that in many churches today. And he thanked God that this church read the Word. And I love to read the Word of God. I love the congregational reading of it. I like to be that Ezra who stood up above the people and had them stand up to read God's Word. And that's what we want to be known as. We want to be known as people of the Word. And I want everyone to know that Berean Baptist Church is a church of the Bible. We're a church of the Bible. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. And so we come here to read the Word. What is it that you regularly do on the Lord's Day? Ask yourself that. Is the Word of God the very air that you breathe? That's what the psalmist said it was for him. Is it that for you? Thirdly, what do we do on the Lord's Day? We don't just read it. We contemplate the Word. On the Lord's Day, we meditate on the written Word. Think on it. Set your mind to think seriously on it. 
Now many times, as you know, we're guilty of reading the Word of God just to be reading, to say that we did it. We know we should. So we read a few chapters to get a few under our belt for the day, and then we can say that we've done it. Now this is the one, of the, one of the things that I'm just so happy about, that, that I'm a teacher of God's Word. I mean, I, I thank God, I praise Him every day that I have the blessed privilege and I have this built-in disposition for study because of that. Um, I, I, I must read and study God's Word in order for it to be effective, for it to be effective to you. And so the great interest that I have is partially the absolute necessity of a preacher reading and studying the Word and thinking about the Word to give it to you. But that doesn't mean that you have any less incentive to read and study and think about the Word of God yourself. If it does everything that the psalmist described, why wouldn't we? Why would we need more incentive to immerse ourselves into a deeper study of God's Word if it does all those things for us? So if it's valuable, why wouldn't we do it? Now, chief among the items of meditation when you look into the Word of God is to think about Christ. What would we be without Jesus Christ? Think about the great love of the Father and giving His own Son to die for us as a sacrifice for sin. And then think about Christ Himself and the willingness that He had to give Himself as an offering for sin. The Bible tells us the greatest love story that was ever told. So spend time thinking on the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Think of what Almighty God did in giving you Christ, the living Word set forth by the Holy Spirit in the inspired written word. I find it so sad that there are many churches that conduct their services without the Bible. Now, with Andy Stanley's opinion of the Bible, do you think that his church would be more prone to bring the Bible to church or to leave it at home? If there's no need for the Bible to find out about Christ, why would you read it? Why would you even bring it? Who needs to bring it to church? You know, think about what Jesus said to those two disciples that he met on the road to Emmaus. It was after his crucifixion. He had risen from the dead, and he met these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they were discussing all the things that had happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus came and talked with them. He didn't reveal himself to them. That would have changed the conversation immeasurably. But he listened to them as they were puzzled and as they were doubting what had happened in Jerusalem on that, on that day and uh, on, at the crucifixion, and, and he listened to their confusion. And then what does the Bible say that Jesus did? He expounded to them all the words of Moses and the prophets and told them how that they spoke of him. That tells us we need to think on the word because in it, in the word, we're going to find Jesus Christ. We'll find out that he is the Savior of the world. How do I know that Jesus loves me? Because the Bible tells me so. And how do I know that he died to save me? Because the Bible tells me so. So what am I going to tell a person that needs to know about Jesus Christ? What am I going to tell somebody who needs to hear the message of the gospel? I'm going to tell him to go to the Bible. I'll tell him to read this great story that the Bible tells. First, I'll take him to the Gospel of John. You remember what John said was the purpose of the reason that he wrote the Gospel? This is what he said. And many other things, or signs rather, truly did Jesus do in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written 
that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in Him ye might have life through His name. This is a reason to draw deeply into the well of the Word. Go into it. Go deeply into it. Read and study it. Think on it. It's a good exercise for the Lord's Day. A few weeks ago, I received a call from a man who was trying to sell us a set of resources for the church. And he said that his company could give each of the members of the church a password to get into what he called great Christian teaching from teachers all across America. And as an incentive, or a drawing card, you might say, he said, you can have access to teachers like Andy Stanley. And I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I have enough trouble trying to keep out all of the heretics that are trying to tear down the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am certainly not going to hand my members a, a key to open up the door of hell. I don't think he liked it too well. <laughs> Contemplate God's Word. Think on it. Use all the means of grace that God has given. Next, what are we to do? We are to pray the Word. Sunday is a day of prayer. What should be on your mind when you come to church on the Lord's Day? Christians are going to be here. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will be here. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Every week we print a prayer page. There are more than a hundred names that are on it. There are church workers and missionaries and military people and college students. If some of you would get busy, we would have some expectant mothers to pray for too. There are sick people on it. There are family and friends that need salvation. But a few days ago, Linda told me, you don't need to print as many of those prayer pages. Members don't ask for them. Most of the time, you won't be here. Many of you won't be here on a Wednesday night when we hand out the prayer page, and respectfully, I've told you before that there are copies of these that are available in the office. But I've noticed that there are some who teach classes in our church that never ask for a prayer page. Now, I hate to say this because I'm not even sure that this is possible, but Sunday would be a really good day to catch up on your prayer life. Come, pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for those in the church that you have neglected. Often we have... Lost people in our services. Pray that their hearts will feel the conviction of their sin. Pray that God would open up their hearts to, to hear and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that they'll understand the Christ that we sing about, pray about, and preach about. Pray that the Holy Spirit would use the word effectually to turn their hearts to the gospel of Christ. Pray for the pastor as he preaches that the word would be effectual. God said the word is not going to return to him void. And there's nothing wrong with approaching God in prayer and saying to him, God, you said that your word would not return void. Show us today. Draw someone to you. Save someone in the congregation today. How many of you come to church with that on your mind? Lord, save somebody today through the preaching of the gospel. Pray. God's Word will work effectually. We offer up many prayers in our services, but we're not able to pray as much as we'd like to. We have so many things to do. Could you take some other time on Sunday to pray? Could you consider that it is the Lord's Day, and when you're not in here, that you might want to take some more time 
to pray on Sunday, or maybe you would come at 5.30 on Sunday night. There's a prayer room that's open, and you can come and pray for the preaching of the Word on that night. Did I tell some of you something you didn't know? There is a church service on Sunday night? Oh, yes, there is. Now, believe it or not, we have one. Most churches forgot that a long time ago. And so if you want to see one of these rare things, that is, Christians, this rare, unthinkable thing, Christians at church on a Sunday night, freakishly rare. Come here. We'll show you how that's done. We have some of our members that stay at church all day long, just waiting for services on Sunday night. You know, I'm happy to say this, that Berean is unusually good about Sunday night church. 75 to 85% of our Sunday morning crowd is here on Sunday night. That's almost unheard of in churches across the country. I'm thankful for that. But I still have to ask the question, are you in the 15 to 25% that's not here? Sunday is a day of prayer. That's an act of piety. It's a righteous act that is a special part of the Lord's day. Fifthly, what are we to do on the Lord's day? We are to sing the word. The Lord's day is a day of singing. Now read the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, to see singing as people went to the temple to worship. You know what those were called? They were called songs of ascent. People would sing as they went up to worship God at the temple. They joyfully went to hear the word of God. They sang songs of ascent. Now I've told you about my grandkids in San Diego. There's a busload of them. And uh, when those 37 kids get on the bus to go to, go to church, they sing songs about Jesus. I mean, the van rocks all the way down the freeway on the way to church, and they're all singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, worship His holy name. I have a suggestion for you. Wake up on Sunday morning, hit the shower, and sing songs of ascent. The acoustics are so good in there. I mean, you, you sound good. Start your day off singing songs of ascent. But I have to say this, apparently some of you do all of your singing in the shower because you get here too late. You've stayed too long in the shower and you get here after the service has begun and the song service is over. Stay tuned for more of that just a little bit later here. What should you do? Well, if you were into the Word of God, this is what you'd know about worship. The Word of God says, Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of God Lord of Christ, rather, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19 repeats, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Do you know this is one of the ways that we recognize that the Holy Spirit is in us. The Word of Christ dwells in us as we let the Holy Spirit control us in hymns and spiritual songs. Psalm 519 says, Make melody in your heart. I'm not sure that the intent of that verse might have been, Make melody in your heart because your singing is so bad, don't vocalize it. Now, I don't think that's what it really means. I think you're to open your mouth, praise the Lord in song, because Sunday is a day of singing. Now let me take you back just a minute to tardy Christians. How many of you are late for work by 10 or 15 minutes every day? Oh, there's no hands. No hands. Duty demands that you be on time, doesn't it? If you're consistently late, 
you'd be singing in the unemployment line, wouldn't you? We start services with singing. We worship the Lord according to Colossians and Ephesians in song. That's what we do when we come to church. Don't miss the public worship of singing. And then when you get here, start, when the singing starts, it's not a time to be talking to everybody else, is it? It's a time to be singing. That's what it is. It's worship to God. It's to sing to the Lord. So let's spend our time doing that. We've gone to the trouble of getting the songs up here, and the, and the accompanists are here. Let's sing the songs and not talk to each other while the song, sing, song service is going on. Now, don't miss the public worship of singing. Now, this might sound harsh to you, and I don't, I don't mean to, to climb on anybody, but, you know, you just got to tell the truth about things. Tardiness, when it's time to worship the king, is much worse than being late for work because it's disrespect to the Lord. And you know what disrespect is? We learned that it's a violation of the third commandment. That is another way that we take the Lord's name in vain when we disrespect him. So do you know what tardiness is? Tardiness is about you. It's not about God. Now, the one thing that we try to do in our worship services is get everything out that has anything to do with us because it's all about God. And so nobody that's regularly late does anything more than just think of self more than they think about God. Now, I told you the Ten Commandments are convicting. I have to tell you these things. We're to sing. What are we to sing? Sing the Word. Now, there are some churches that believe that we can only sing the written Word Colossians and Ephesians mentions psalms. Now, those are good to sing. I, I would say it would be hard to write a better song than one that uses Scripture as the words. But the command also mentions hymns and spiritual songs. And I don't think that those are synonyms for psalms. Whatever they are, whatever the songs that we sing, they ought to be based on the Word of God. Every song should have a message that exalts God. Some of my favorites are the Sovereign Grace songs that we sing that so powerfully speak of God's great work in, in saving unworthy sinners. I favor those over the revival period songs, many of the songs that, you, that we all grew up with in church, the familiar things. I favor it over them because those are songs that often concentrate more on sinful man than they do on holy God. But whichever it is, make sure the songs that we sing on Sunday are good songs that exalt God. It's a righteous act. And you might start singing those songs during the week to get prepared for Sunday. You're not going to be prepared for Sunday if you spent the whole week singing depressing country music songs. What do you listen to on the radio? If you sing like a bullfrog, that's okay. Because we'll just come, we'll make bullfrog harmony, and we'll ask God to heal everybody's voices, and it'll sound good when you get here. Next, what do we do? We hear the word. Now, I had to get this one in, didn't I? Sunday is a day to hear the Word. Now, if you'll allow me, I think what we need to do is shift this one to the top of the list because preaching is worship. Preaching is the most important of all that we do because in preaching, God speaks His Word to us. We pray to God, we sing to God, we think about God, and preaching is when God gives himself back to us. What do we expect from preaching? Thomas Watson wrote, When you sit down in your seat, lift up your eyes to heaven for a blessing upon the word to be dispensed. 
For you must know that every word preached does not work as a physic by its own inherent virtue, but by virtue from heaven and the cooperation of the Holy Spirit. I hope you understand that statement. The word will not do anything for you because I said it. If I say the word and I preach the word and you hear the word, it's not going to sound any different from Shakespeare unless the Holy Spirit is in it. People hear and believe not because it is the word, but because it is the spirit-energized word. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, listen, which effectively worketh also in you that believe. So how do we know that God is here? Is it because you get a warm, fuzzy feeling when you go to church? Is it because there's an emotional stirring here? Well, I'd have to caution you about that. That Satan is good at stirring emotions. And often, Satan's people are passionate or even more passionate than God's people. God at work is more objective than the emotional thing because when God is at work, His Word is effectual so that it changes hearts. It makes people different. It convicts you. And when the Word of God convicts you, rejoice in that, even when it's hard on your flesh. Rejoice in it, because it means that God is at work. He's using the Word to stir your life and change you. Now think about this. If the Holy Spirit is in the Word, what should you do? If God is present in the Word as it's preached, what should you do? You should sit up and pay attention. God is speaking. You're not to sleep when God speaks. Your sleep is to be done in six days, not on this day. Come refreshed to hear God's word. Now, there's one thing that used to aggravate me a lot, still does, and it's when people tell me that, I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor, I, I won't be there at church on Sunday because I overdid it on Saturday. I'm too tired to go to church. Now, I don't, I don't have any sympathy for that at all. Don't, don't tell me you're too tired to come to church. By the grace of God, I've been a Christian for 56 years. By His grace, I am what I am. And I can honestly tell you, I have never missed a church service because I was too tired. I don't oversleep on Sunday morning. I don't sleep in. I go to church. The Word of God's too important to me. I don't sleep when I get to church. I understand that what I have to say to you may be too boring for you. But the Word of God is never boring. The Word of God, when it's spoken in truth, that the exposition is true, you sit up and you listen. The Holy Spirit speaks effectually through the words of the pastor. I know that's true because I can't take any credit for anything that's done. If anything happens because of what's preached, it's because the Holy Spirit does that, not me. So it's your duty when you come to church to keep out all the other distractions, push all of that aside, put all thoughts out of your mind when you come through that front door. Here's what I hear a lot of time at the front door. It's a lot of talk about football. A lot of talk about what's going on with our favorite teams. And I, I know that there are some church members that have their fantasy leagues. And even while I'm preaching, they're checking their smartphone to see how their players are doing. This is not the time for that. This is to concentrate on God's Word. Listen to the Word of God. Sunday is for hearing the Word. And you can be thankful about this that I'm not the Apostle Paul. Now, at least in this regard, 
People complain about the length of sermons. Paul didn't mind preaching till midnight. I'm only going to keep you about 45 minutes, so you can be thankful for that, that I'm not the Apostle Paul. Speaking about how people complain about the length of sermons, uh, I preached in my sister's church in Kentucky on several occasions, and they planned their services to beat the crowd for lunch on Sunday. And uh, in the South, that's really the thing to do because there's a lot of people that go to church, and as soon as church lets out, everybody goes to eat. So they have a plan, and that is we hold services early so everybody can get out in time to beat everybody else to the restaurant. And so they, in, in that church, they give you about 30 minutes to preach, and then they're going to go to the restaurant. And so I preach many, many times, uh, you know, 30 minutes, I'm just getting warmed up. And so when... when I, I preach, I, I see people pointing to the clock behind them as if I didn't know, and they want the service over with. Well, this is the Lord's day, isn't it? It's a time to hear the Word of God. And you, I said that because it's 22 minutes after 12, so don't point at the clock. I can see it up there. It's like the little boy who asked the pastor about Memorial Day and what Memorial Day was for. And he just said, well, it's for all the people that died in the service. The little boy said, well, maybe you ought to shorten the sermons a little bit then. <laughs> well, let me finish. I want to get you out before supper time, all right? Lastly, what are we to do? Here is another act of worship. Live the Word. Sunday is the day to live the Word. There are a lot of different directions I could take this, but I know that you want to get out of here. Uh, we, we started, you know, your, your stomach is an hour off. I realize that. So uh, I know you want to get out. So I'm just going to refer you to one thing. I go a lot of different directions, but I'll refer you to one thing. I'm going to take you back to the letter A. Back to the letter A. Live the Word on Sunday. How do we do that? Let me give you two verses of Scripture. First Peter 4, 10 and 11. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as members of the Lord's church, each of you has received a gift or more than one gift to be used in the service of the Lord in his body, the church. And every Christian has at least one of these spiritual gifts. I'm not making this up. It's right here in the Scriptures. It says in verse 10, As every man, and that means every person, as every person hath received the gift. Now the context that Peter is writing here is that of the whole church, and you are to minister the gift as a Christian, the special gift that God has given you, you are to minister that to others. That gift is for the benefit of other believers. How are you going to do that? Are you able to minister your gift if you're someplace else besides the church? Have you obeyed God when you keep that gift? It's not yours to keep. God gave the gift for you to give it to others. So you go to church where you can use God's gift. Now a body functions well only when the body works together. Some members, as 1 Corinthians tells us, some are legs, some are arms, some are eyes, some are, eyes, some are ears. It never says that any of you are the brains, unfortunately. But you are all these other body parts. And what happens when even the smallest body part does not function the way that it should? You ever thought how difficult your life would be if you cut off your thumbs? 
How difficult it would be to walk if you cut off your big toes. That used to be a punishment for people. Did you know that? When, when someone had committed a serious crime, sometimes they would cut off their thumbs or cut off their big toes because from then on their life was going to be miserable. Now the Word of God tells us that every part of the body has to perform its function. And if, it's not, if those parts of the body aren't here, the body doesn't function well. The body does not complete without all the parts that are here. And so you need to consider that when you're not here, somebody has to use, use a gift that's not really theirs. It's your gift because they have to fill in the hole that you've left by not being here. And so they're trying to perform a function that, they, that, that you're not going to do as well as them because it's not your gift. Just look back at verse number 11 again. If any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Use the ability that God gives. And this verse tells us what that will accomplish. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, are you the church member that prevents God from being glorified in all things through Jesus Christ? Can you do that when you dishonor Him by not being here for worship? And I would submit to you that this is the whole purpose of the Sabbath that God in all things may be glorified in Jesus Christ. So this commandment comes at the summation of the first table of the law, that it's man's duty to love God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, his strength, and you do that as you come and worship the Lord on the Sabbath. So, should we repent when we break the Sabbath? Yes, a thousand times yes, we ought to repent. Should we be sorrowful about unfaithfulness? Yes, a thousand times yes. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. That's what the works of worship are about. Keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's God's day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your wonderful word that we've been able to study today we see how all these things flow through the word of god the word is so important to us this is our christianity this is how we know about christ we can't neglect the word everything that we do in worship will be connected to and funneled through the written word of god or help us to understand that to realize it to use all means of grace to worship you on your day. Speak to Christians today. Convict our hearts about this. And Lord, we do pray for the lost. Help them to understand why we're here. It's because of what Jesus Christ did in giving himself for our sins. He died. He was buried. He arose again the third day. And because of that, we're saved. Open our hearts to be receptive to the word that's been given today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www dot bbaptist dot org